Good morning. It's uh, great to be back here at Barberton. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors on staff at our Norton campus. And uh, I'm just excited to be with you uh, here this morning and, and just to hear about uh, all the different connections and relationship that's, relationships that God has created and developing in your community. Uh, the, the bike repair thing, the, the mentoring kids, all things that, uh, man, uh, it's so cool to see what God is, is doing in and through, uh, th through you. And so it's exciting uh, to be here. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called More and More, and I don't know about you, but I like More and More. I like more bacon, more wings, more wins, uh, more sunny days, that kind of thing. But we're talking about a different kind of more and more. Uh, I want to continue the conversation that Pastor Jeff started a few weeks ago concerning what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. This idea of more and more is based off of one of Paul's prayers uh, to the, for the followers of Jesus in Philippi that reads th like this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And it was around this more and more statement that we determined that one way to define growth in our walk with Jesus is to start asking ourselves and others just some simple insightful questions. And so the first week, Jeff talked about what it means to follow Jesus, to be a Jesus follower. It's a commitment to a relationship to become more and more like Jesus in our words, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our character. It's an all-in turning away from what I was pursuing and turning toward a continuous pursuit of Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Last week, Jeff laid the foundation from which all of this rooted, from which all of this flows, and that is God's love for us. And so the question that was asked last week was, is your understanding of God's love for you growing more and more? You see, the more we understand who we are in and, and light of who God is and how he thinks and acts toward us, the more secure we live in a, in a relationship with him and the greater our response in worship of him. Well, this series is meant to be personal, but it's also meant to be shared. And so throughout the, the, this series, we want to help you to grow more and more as a follower of Jesus to grow more and more in your love for Jesus. But we also want you to walk beside someone else and, and help them grow as a follower of Jesus. And you know, we want to encourage you to think about the people God has placed in your life and determine, and determine how you can love and live and give your life away uh, to point them to Jesus. And so here's the question we want to think about this week, this morning, and that is, is your love for God growing more and more? Last week we were talking about God's love toward us. This week we're talking about our love for God. Is it growing more and more? And part of the answer boils down, I believe, to a matter of values. What or who do you value most in your life? Every choice, every decision that, that we make in life is a demonstration of the values that drive our lives. And so many of our choices aren't simply a matter between bad and good, but it's a choice between what's better and what's best. 
And that's why I believe that Paul continues in this verse and says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And then there's two words after that, two small words, so that. But I, I think those two words are significant and it's, it's fun to, as you look at Paul's prayers, again and again, he does this very thing. He says, I'm praying for you in this, in this, in this, in this, so that. The why, why am I praying for you this way? So that. And he gives the purpose, the why, the reason for what he prays. It's fascinating. He does it again and again, and he does it here. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, of in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best. You see, when we discern, are able to discern what is best, we'll value what's most precious in our lives. And so if you would, grab a Bible or your device or you can look up here on the screens. We want to look at what Jesus says in the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the second section of your Bibles, the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And see, what's happening in the context of this is it's the last week of Jesus' life. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, are, they're getting frustrated. All their attempts to, to, at this point to trap Jesus, to trip him up, to discredit him had failed. And so they try their best to, to test him again, this time in an area of theology, the study of God. Now, I, I, think this is, I think this is amusing and actually kind of funny, if not absurd, and that is they're asking God about God. And so this expert in the law, a lawyer who was probably well-educated, well-respected leader, approaches Jesus and he asks this question. Teacher, rabbi, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You see, over the years, the teachers had determined that there were 613 separate laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. And they divided these laws into affirmative and negative groups. There were, there, were, there were some laws that were do this, do that. Other laws that were don't do this, don't do that. And so not only did they then divide them between the affirmative and negative groups, but they also tried to divide them into heavy and light laws. And so the heavier laws were these are the laws that you must obey. These are heavy. They have weight to them. These laws over here, well, they're kind of light. And, you know, if you do this or that, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Well, not surprisingly, no one agreed which laws fell into which category. And so the religious leaders spent countless hours arguing, debating on how to rank and categorize all of the 613 various laws. And so this man with a religious PhD asked Jesus a question, and, and, and I think though it was meant to be a, a trap, to trap Jesus, I think it was a very genuine and honest question. I think he really wanted to know, he wanted to know Jesus' thoughts of what he believed, what command has the most weight. Well, Jesus answers straight from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy and Numbers, and he says, Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What is the greatest command? Jesus answers, number one, love God. Number two, love others. And if you love God and if you love others and follow these, all the other laws, they just kind of fall in line. And it's interesting here that Jesus uses a a word for love. He could have used any of uh, four different words for love in the original language. But he chooses the word agapao or agape love. And it speaks of this never-ending, unchanging, unconditional, all-consuming, committed, and purposeful love. This love is a a choice, a matter of the will, a decision, and and Jesus defines it further. Notice he says, love the Lord your God. In other other words, it's in the context of a relationship. He makes it personal. And not only is a love personal, this love is a comprehensive love with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. In other words, In other words, with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole mind. Mark adds, with your whole strength, with your heart, mind, strength, and soul. It's a love that's not only personal and comprehensive, it's a love that's dependent on God's perfect love. Because see, we have a hard time loving this way. In fact, the only way that we can love this way is we can only love this way because God first loved us and gave himself up for us. And here's the point. Remember all the facets of God's love that Jeff talked about last week? I mean, I hope you've taken the time to kind of run through that list that that he went through last week and and it's like, wow, God's love is, is beyond amazing. But the point is this, God's wholehearted love for us can't be answered with a half-hearted love from us. God's wholehearted love for us can't be answered with a half-hearted love from us. And see, we're the love with everything we've got. And it's, it's fascinating, the word for strength is interesting. The, the strength of a person is not simply who he is, but what he has at his disposal. And so what Jesus is saying here is that means we're the love God, not only with everything that we are, but with everything we have available for honoring and loving God. And see, the person who truly loves the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength is the person who trusts him. And yet I wonder, I still wonder, how do I discern if I'm growing in my love for God? How do I discern that? How do I know? Well, the rest of our time this morning, I want to look at God's love language. Uh, Gary Chapman has written a best-selling book called The Five Love Languages. And it's a a fascinating look at the way we love and, and want to be loved. It's insightful pointing out how we give and receive love differently. In fact, if we we understand, if we don't understand what best speaks, the love language that speaks to our partner, our spouse, it can create a lot of frustration. It creates a lot of tension in our marriage relationship. 
And so there, he gives at least five ways that love is expressed and, and recognized. The first is words of affirmation. I love you. I'm, I'm proud of you. You did a great job. There's words of affirmation. There's physical touch, a, a hug, holding hands. Quality time spent together. Shared experiences, special one-on-one -on -one time, that unplugged time by the campfire. Words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, personal gifts, flowers, jewelry, clothes, gadgets, something handmade. Another way that we give and receive love is through acts of service. Serving the other person, doing a chore, taking out the trash, painting a room, that shows them love. Well, most of us like all of these. <laughs> We like all of these at different way, in different ways at, at different times, but we feel particularly loved when people speak our primary love language. For example, I know with my wife Jennifer, we've, we've talked about this. Um, her primary love language is acts of service. And if I can be honest this morning, it kind of stinks. <laughs> Because it's a whole lot easier to say, oh, I love you, honey, I'm proud of you, uh, to stop by the store every once in a while and grab some flowers and say, here, and, and she'd be, whoa, great, yay. Um, but she would rather me unload and load the dishwasher. <laughs> that's, how, that's how she works, because affirmation and gifts, as much as she appreciates them, aren't her primary love language. In fact, I used to buy her roses and flowers, and one day she said, Jonathan, don't buy me. Don't buy me flowers. They don't, they don't last that long before they die, and then I just have to clean them up. <laughs> She's very practical. She loves flowers, but would rather me empty and load the dishwasher or do, do the laundry that, to show her love. And then the point of all this is that sometimes we think we're loving God, but we're not really speaking his love language. Sometimes we're, we love by doing what pleases us. And the point is to live and love in a way that makes God smile, to speak his language. And the first thing I wanna, I wanna talk about though is, is God's love language is not what it's not, it's not just simple belief. You see, God wants more than, than a simple or basic belief. James reminds us that even the demons believe that God exists. But instead of celebrating, instead of worshiping him in that belief, they shudder. I, I love the way the message paraphrase describes this. Do I, do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God? but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? You see, God doesn't just want our acknowledgement. He wants our lives. He wants our love. He wants our hearts. And so our love for him is an indicator of our faith in a God who has demonstrated his love for us and that why we were still sinners, why we were opposed to him, why we were his enemies, Jesus paid the debt he didn't owe to pay a debt we couldn't repay. And he demonstrated his love for us on the cross. He died for our forgiveness. He died so that we could be reconciled with him, so that we could have a relationship with him now and forever. 
And see, our love for God is not communicated through simple belief or acknowledgement that he exists. In the same way, God's love language is not void of a relationship with him. I mean, when the first thing that comes to your mind, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when someone asks, how's your spiritual life? How's your spiritual life going? You know, I, I tend to think, I start to think about all the things that I do. The list of things that I do, if, if, I'm, and, and if I'm going to church consistently and I've, and I've prayed and read my Bible for several consecutive days, I'm, I'm likely to answer, man, my spiritual life is great. And so what we're doing becomes the gauge of our spiritual condition. But can I suggest that God's primary assessment of our love for him is not based on the number of consecutive days we check off our Bible reading. It's not based on the frequency of our journal entries or the length of our prayers or the the number of Bible studies we attend each week. The real issue is, am I growing in my love for God and for people? Because being a follower of Jesus is fundamentally about a relationship with him. The things I do are the products, are the, are the results of what I understand about his love and my growing love for him. When Jennifer and I were dating, we, we were four hours apart, so we were doing some long-distance dating, long-distance relationship. And back in that time, we didn't have FaceTime. We couldn't message each other, text each other for free. Uh, if you called long-distance, you paid for it. <laughs> And so you talk frequently or you talk for long periods of time, it becomes expensive really quick. And so every Sunday afternoon, we we had this thing at a certain time, we would talk for an hour on a phone attached to a wall. (laughs) Remember those days? (laughs) And in between that hour conversation every Sunday, we wrote letters. And we would write letters back and forth and she would tell me, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm feeling. These are are my dreams. These are the things that I'm thinking. And man, when I got those letters in the mail, in my mailbox, I got that letter from Jennifer Adams. I, I wouldn't just read it once. I would read it again and again. Not just because I, I wanted to know her, know about her and what she's doing, but I wanted to know her. I I wanted to deepen our relationship by getting to know her heart. And so I would receive that letter and then I would respond with with pouring out, hey, this is is what I'm doing and this is what I'm feeling right now and and this is what's going on in my mind, in my heart. You see, I wanted our relationship to deepen. And so in response, I would share my life with her. You know, I I think in the same way, I want to understand who God is. I want to know him, and I I want to share my heart with him by talking to him, by by reading about, reading his words in, in the Bible. You see, the Bible is his letter to us. It's in the Bible that God reveals his heart, his purpose, his character, so we can know him. And see, when I read God's word, it shouldn't be just to check off a list. I read the Bible to understand God's heart. What is he passionate about? What does he love? What does he think? 
You see, we can't, underst- we can't understand God's heart without knowing the Bible. But you know what? You can know the Bible without understanding God's heart. I think we all know people like this. They, they know the Bible. They know what it says. They, they can quote verses that apply them, that apply them to, to suit their needs. But they really don't know God's heart. You see, as a, as a follower of Jesus, I want to love what God loves. I want to see how he sees. I, I want to have his perspective on life. I want, to, I want my life to reflect his heart. My desire is to grow in my relationship, to grow in my love for him more and more. And so my love for God comes out of what Jeff described as me, the disciple follower, having a deep and meaningful relationship with my master, my rabbi teacher, Jesus. See, God's people, the Israelites, they were doing all the right thing. They were worshiping, they were praying, they were celebrating, they were checking all the boxes. But the prophet Isaiah writes down what God really thinks about their worship when he says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. And you see, throughout their history, the Israelites struggled to worship God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sometimes they just went through the motions and and really had no personal concern or care for God himself. They only wanted what he could give them. Other times they worshiped God, but they ran to other nations. They ran to other gods and idols. And their worship and, and appearance was very impressive, And if we were to watch them, we'd say, wow, what a celebration. (laughs) How devout these Israelites are. (laughs) In appearance, very impressive, but in reality, it was merely empty words and rituals filled with unbelief that God could provide and protect them. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 13, we can worship, we can serve, we can have faith, we can have sacrifice. Without love, it's nothing. And think about it. What is our worship together if we don't love God? It, it becomes just a joyful sing-along. And see, we're always in danger of loving the means and the method more than we love God. In fact, I'd go as far as it can be a temptation to love loving God more than we actually love him. You see, when we're not loving God, we end up with a bunch of religious moments void of a relationship with him. And and there's no passion, there's no joy in that. Author and pastor J.D. Greer writes, without love, even the most radical devotion to God is of no value to him. You can gain all the spiritual gifts in the world. You can take the most radical steps of obedience. You can share every meal with the homeless in your city. You can memorize the book of Leviticus. You can pray each morning for four hours like Martin Luther. But if what you do does not flow out of a heart of love, a heart that does those things because it genuinely genuinely desires to do them, it is ultimately worthless to God. You know, you think about it this way, Jennifer's love language is acts of service. So what if I emptied and loaded the dishwasher? 
did the laundry, folded it, put it away, cleaned the house, took out the trash, cooked dinner for her, and I did all that without love. It, it would look impressive, wouldn't it? In fact, there would probably be other wives who would point to me and say, wow, look at him. Look at that. Look at what a great husband he is. And, and I wish my husband was like that. And it would be, it would be impressive. But it would also be without relationship. Our marriage would be dull and empty. You see, it would make me more of an employee doing what I knew was expected than a husband who wants to love, honor, and cherish his wife. You see, Jennifer and I don't want an employee-employer relationship. We want each other's love and respect. And so what is God's love language? What does wholehearted love for God look like? A while ago, I had a lunch with a man. He uh, received his doctorate in um, entomology, the study of bugs, at the Ohio State University. And he received that degree and, and thought that was going to be his life pursued, but then he ended up spending the majority of his life in different countries speaking different languages, pointing people to Jesus. And not only pointing people to Jesus, equipping them as followers of Jesus to, to, to make other followers and, and to multiply well, we were talking about what it means and what it takes to stay in close relationship with God. And he shared with me just a, a simple prayer. He said, Jonathan, I, I pray this prayer every day as a reminder of what's important to keep myself available, to open to God every day. And his prayer was simply this, Lord, incline my heart toward you. Lord, incline my heart to you. Incline my heart to God. Well, what does that mean? To incline means that you're willing and ready and prepared and responsive to allow something to affect the, to allow something to affect the way you think and act. The Bible says it this way, turn my heart toward your ways, toward your statutes, and not toward selfish gain. In other words, Lord, turn my heart away from myself and turn it to you. Help me to see you. Help me to be prepared to see you throughout my day, to respond to you. And see, we're asking God to help us think like he thinks, love like he loves, see what he sees. But in order for this to happen, we need to know him. And so I believe our love for God, God's love language starts with a desire, a determination to know him. The psalmist knew how important this was when he wrote, my heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Look to the Lord in his strength, seek his face always. That, that term to seek his face was the idea of I want to know everything about you. I want to know your character. I want to know your attitudes. I want to know, know everything. Seek his face always. When I incline my heart toward God and I seek to know him, I'm looking for his work, his mission, his opportunities, his truths every day. I'm looking for God's fingerprints in, in my life, in my marriage, in my family, my work, my school, my hobbies, my community. I have a desire to know God and, and see him throughout my day. In other words, I'm always looking for his presence in my life and my world. You see, we can't love God the way he deserves to be loved 
unless we spend time in his presence and see him as he really is. Pastor Jeff talked about this when he talked about disciples following their rabbi and, and wanting to copy their lives to his. They watched their teacher live life and, and were constantly learning from him. And it, it's fascinating to me then in light of this that the first century Jews had a saying, it was actually a blessing a blessing that expresses this very commitment to, to stay in the presence of the one they followed. And, and if I were to meet John on the road, I would say, hey, John, may you always be covered in the dust of the rabbi. And John right now would be like, what? <laughs> but in other words, may you follow him so closely that the dust that's kicked up as he walks it cakes your clothing, it lines your face, it covers you. And so it's sort of like that, that baby duckling following its mother. Disciples never wanted to let the rabbi, their teacher, out of their sight. And see, what mattered most was being with their rabbi no matter what was going on. Every activity was an opportunity to learn from their teacher, to hear from their teacher, to see, from the, to see what their teacher was doing. This means asking Jesus to be our teacher and companion every moment that we might incline our heart to him, his ways, his word as we read the Bible. It's how Jesus defines the relationship to intend to live so much in his presence that we become dusty disciples. In other words, we're aware of his presence and looking for him, whether it's kneeling in prayer or, or reading his word, the Bible, whether it's sitting at a baseball game, eating lunch, or, or watching a movie. In everything we do, we acknowledge him. I noticed this morning, it's a, it, the second song's a, a new one to me, but man, how appropriate. You know, it's something like every, in everything we see the heart of God. You know, when our heart, when we incline our heart to him, when we look at creation, we see God's fingerprints and, and we acknowledge him and we worship because we see his grace, we see his creativity, we see his kindness, we see his compassion over here. In everything, we see the heart of God when our heart is inclined to his the decision that makes us disciples and, and helps us grow more and more in our love for him is choosing to be with him always so we can learn, learn from him and, and know him, not just know about him, but know him, know his heart. So that I want to reflect, I want my life to reflect Jesus. Well, I think, uh, I think something that we that we can do is something that you know, a lot of sports teams do, the soccer teams, football teams, basketball teams, as, as they're getting ready for the next game. What they do, sometimes they, they, they stop practice and they go into a room and they watch game film. And they watch the game film from the previous game and, and from that they're able to see all these things like all the things that they did right. Man, you blocked right here, that was perfect. That allowed him to, you know, Get, created a gap and, and this and that and, and, and it also helps us to see well you know they were running his own defense we should have done this differently and so as they look at the, at the, at the game film they're, they're looking at they're celebrating what they did right they're looking at how can we tweak this 
How can I learn from this so the next time I, I respond better or I react better? And I, I wonder what it'd be like if we did something like that in our own lives. What if we took some time each day to, to review the game film of our lives? Take some time to go through our day with God and, and look for where he was working, what he wanted to say to us in that moment when I was really frustrated. To look for patterns that, that I may have missed, truths I've, I may have overlooked, opportunities to express his heart and life through mine. Learning to incline my heart toward him. And see, when I live life this way, I always have fresh stories of what God is doing and fresh stories of what God is teaching me. But even in those days when God seems silent, I know he's still there and I, I keep leaning into him. I trust him because I know his heart. The psalmist says it something like this, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If we want to love God more and more, we've got to know him and, and seek to understand his heart. But in order to do that properly, we also have to learn how to handle life's distractions. Theologian C.S. Lewis describes it this way, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people don't usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quiet life come flowing in. I wanna put it a different way this morning. In a way, I, I think most of us will, will identify with. See, I think every day we have the potential to wake up with a, with a tree filled with screaming monkeys. <laughs> just picture that in your mind. Ever have a day like that? You just wake up and it's like, wow, what is going on? You know, it, it, it's like they're chattering, they're shrieking at you to pay attention to them. There's all this noise. I mean, here's the thing, but if we let the monkeys have their way, our wild pursuit of those, those things that we hope will satisfy us will distract us from what is best. And so to, in order to love God more and more with a whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, I've got to get rid of, I've got to shoot the monkeys in my heart. I can't let them keep chattering away in my life and, and distracting me from what's best. In other words, God's love language moves me to eliminate all other competing distractions. And it sounds severe, and it is, but it has to be. Because our relationship with God is to be exclusive. You know, when I said yes to my wife Jennifer on our wedding day, I was saying yes to her and no to everyone and everything else that might be a competing distraction in our relationship. I mean, how would she have felt on our wedding day standing there and I said, Jennifer, I, I promise to give you six out of seven days a week. <laughs> and, and I promise to be committed to you eh, most of the time. 
Uh, what if I even went as far to say, you know, Jennifer, I, I'm willing to give you 95% of my love. <laughs> you know, how would she have felt? I, I think I would have been standing at the front of the church all dressed up, no place to go, right? You see, even loving her 95% of the time means that eight hours of the week I'm loving and pursuing someone or something else. That doesn't work. That doesn't work in a relationship. And so in a similar way, God doesn't want to be your weekend God. Jesus didn't say, love the Lord your God with some of your heart, a, a portion of your soul, a piece of your mind, and, and most of your strength at least once, once a week. No, he wants us to find our satisfaction and joy in him without the competing distractions. In college, uh, I was a senior, it was my senior year, and, and both my roommates were engaged, and engaged to be married, and as a young man, and that was, oof, it's like, whoa, what about me? <laughs> and this whole thing, in some ways, this became an obsession for me. I, I thought about it all the time, my, my dreams and dis disappointments and, 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 and not having someone in my life became distracting until one day I came across this passage and Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, the screaming monkey of not being in a relationship, the screaming monkey of, of, feeling, of feeling left behind and, and feeling lonely just kept chipping and, and chattering at my contentment and joy my satisfaction in God. But when I read this verse, I realized, man, I wasn't in the right place for a relationship anyway. <laughs> and I began to use this time in my life to get back to growing more and more in my love for God. You know what, he taught me a lot that summer. He changed my heart. He not only changed my heart, he changed the direction of my life. Because rather than complaining to him about my unfulfillment and my unhappiness a few minutes every day, I started to look for him throughout the day. And I began to appreciate the ways I saw him moving and working in me and around me. You see, because the truth is, he had been part of my life. He now became the center of my life. And I found my satisfaction in him. You see, God's love language wants us to know him, to understand his heart, to center our lives on him. Because there's one thing, uh, one more thing I need to mention. God's love language is spoken in the language of obedience. You see, God's love language results in obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And, it, and we read that and it could sound like Jesus is equating our love for him with obedience of him, that we love God by keeping his commands. But it seems that what Jesus is really saying here is keeping his commands is a response out of my love. Obedience is the evidence of my love for him. Obedience is the evidence of our love for him. Love is the root, obedience is the fruit that comes out of that. You see, we can keep commands and, and not love God. 
I can live in obedience without love. People driving behind a police cruiser don't speed. It's not, only be, it's not always because their heart is right. It's not because they love the speed limit. It's because they fear the consequences. And see, I can do everything I need to do and not do it with the right motivation. But if, if, if I love, then I want to obey. Love motivates me to obedience because I want to honor, I want to cherish those I love. What we do are the products and results of knowing and experiencing God's love for us. They're indicators of our love for God because we love the things that he loves. And see, that's where we're gonna be going over the next few weeks and what what does that look like practically? How does that affect my love for people, my attitudes, my character, becoming, becoming more and more like Jesus? But if our love language, God's love language, starts with a desire to know him, to understand his heart, eliminating all competing distractions, resulting in obedience. If that's God's love language, is my love for God growing more and more? How am I worshiping him? How, is my, how am I reading the Bible? How am I talking to him? Is it from my heart to his heart? Or am I just checking the boxes? See, I may not always see it in myself, but others will begin to see the difference in me. They'll see it in the way I treat others. They'll see it in my attitudes and priorities. They'll see it in what I value and what I pursue in life. And see, I love the moment in the early church where religious leaders are, are questioning Peter and John about some teachings about Jesus. And, and they, they actually seize them. They throw them in prison. They pull them out of prison the next day and they're, they're peppering them with questions and it says Peter, and Peter responds with such boldness and clarity that, <clears throat> that Luke records the religious leader's response. I, I just love this. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were just normal guys, they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, knowing Jesus, being covered in the dust of the rabbi, following, learning, loving their teacher, Lord and Savior, had changed them. And when we're growing in our love for God more and more, it will also change the way we live and love God. I'm just going to ask the band to come up as we talk about just some practical things here. This is what I want to encourage you to do this week. Write it on a, write it on a sticky note or a, a note card. Put it in a place where you're going to be reminded every day this week. Because this is your homework. <laughs> I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to God each day. You know, as you're driving to work or after you get the kids on the bus or whenever you take time to talk to God, to pray a prayer like this one, Lord, incline my heart to you. Help me to see you through my day. Help me to listen, to hear your voice. Help me to to recall the things that I've read from your word this morning throughout my day. Incline, turn my heart to you. And then at the end of the day, maybe it's on the way home from work or after the kids are in bed or before you close your eyes. 
Would you take just a few moments to, to review the game film of your day? To take time to, to go through your day with God and look for places that maybe, maybe you missed them. Celebrate the, celebrate the areas where it's like, God, man, you, you taught me here. When I got frustrated, you gave me peace. Celebrate that. Look for patterns you may have missed, truths you may have overlooked, opportunities to express his heart and life through yours. Ask God to expose the, the chattering, screeching monkeys that are distracting you from pursuing him in the best way. And look for God's fingerprints in your life and creation. Give him thanks, worship. Worship and love as you learn to incline your heart toward him and love him more and more. Let's pray.